Welcome into another edition of the Canes Insight Podcast brought to you by Caneswear. D-Money, been a few weeks, uh, had the ability to reflect a little bit. Uh, how you feeling right now? Feeling good. It's like a rebirth, right? You know, last week we got all the negative energy out. Now we're focused on the ACC schedule. You know, I was thinking about it. It's kind of like college basketball in a way. You know, last year, the Hurricanes basketball non-conference did not go very well. They didn't look very good. They lost to a bad Dayton team, lost to a bad UCF team. Uh, just didn't look like a team that was going to do anything. And then they got into the ACC, played well, continued to build. And by the end of the season, obviously, they're rolling. Best Kane season ever in terms of basketball, which didn't look like that during the non-conference schedule. So when you have it set up like this where you got non-conference and then go straight into ACC and no mixing, uh, you could really look at it like a whole new season. This is the most important game of the Coastal Slate. These are the two most talented teams in the Coastal. UNC is the team to beat. The rest of the teams look horrible in the division. So the whole narrative can shift with a win on Saturday. So excited and looking forward to uh, to changing the mood here on this podcast. So North Carolina has been winning games primarily on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, Miami has struggled on the offensive side of the ball. Miami's defense has struggled at times as well for you know most part of the season. I think you could pretty much just say the A and M game was was the you know their their best performance, right? You know the odds seem to be stacked against Miami if you just look at the numbers. But with that being said, Miami's four point favorites. So I know you've watched a lot of Carolina, you know, a couple games at least, and. You know, in what you've seen, right? Because I've seen this sentiment a lot on social media today. I have people texting me who aren't Canes fans, just looking at the looking at the lines, saying, "Hey, you know, is there something I don't know? Why is Miami favored? Can you kind of just give your kind of opinion on why why they're favored right now?" It's the emotion of of college football. These are college kids, so a lot of betting college football is following the trends. We saw that with Appalachian State. Mm-hmm before Miami um, and Texas A&M losing to Appalachia State, knowing that they're going to have a much more emotional team, more desperate team heading into the Miami game. Uh, I was actually talking to somebody at Miami before North Carolina played this weekend, and he said, I hope North Carolina just blows the doors off Virginia Tech, which which is what happened. Because knowing that the media was going to be kind of hitting Miami throughout the week, and no one would expect Miami to win. Now Miami's favored, so some of that underdog mentality uh, isn't there, but you still, you're going to look at the film. You're going to see North Carolina tearing it up. Miami's going to know they have to play their absolute best. It's not going to be a middle Tennessee situation where they don't show up. And Miami's at home, that home field advantage. Same thing we talked about Texas A&M. You start fast, that home crowd's going to be rocking and believing. You start slow, the boo birds come out. People are going to want a quarterback change and all those sort of things. So you got to start hot. Um, but if you do, that home field advantage is real. And I think the Vegas is saying, you know, North Carolina is not <clears throat> a good team. They have very good aspects of their team, but they're not a physically tough team. They're not a team that you can rely, rely on necessarily. They're going to be up and down like they have been during the whole Mac Brown era. So I think they're betting on a down for North Carolina and uh, a very emotional Miami team at home playing desperate. So leading the Carolina offense, Drake May at the quarterback spot, 19 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. He's emerging very quickly in this college football season as a premier talent. You know, the quarterback spot, you always get that early buzz from the NFL, right? 
And I think he's one who there's been a ton of that. Yeah, I'll make a comparison now and people are not going to people are going to jump on it cuz I'm not saying this is exactly the talent level of talent this guy has in the career, but when you watch him play physically, the guy that jumps out to me is Trevor Lawrence. I mean, cuz this guy's a guy that's 6-5 legit. Usually guys that tall, he plays tall, he's got that that posture of a tall quarterback, but at the same time he's twitchy and he can make the first guy miss. And not many guys of that height are twitchy like that and, and sudden like he is. He comes from a family of legit basketball players, high level guys on the basketball court. One of them played for one of his brothers played for UNC. Uh, also, a brother played on the baseball team. So this guy's an yeah, athlete. His brother didn't just play for UNC. Luke May was, you know, a great player over there. Right. And he, uh, Drake May, the the quarterback, also played basketball in high school. So this is an athlete um, with unusual size for an athlete like that. He can make plays outside the pocket, rolling both directions. Uh, he loves to run on third can down. Run. He, I mean, he's really – they have a, someone else who, who's ahead of him on, on you know, the, the rushing yards, but he is their, you know, primarily their, their running game as well. Yeah, third down, he loves to run. He, he will tuck it quick and go, and he usually gets it with those long strides. Um, good arm talent, accurate, makes quick decisions, poise. You mentioned the touchdown-to-interception ratio. This guy's as good as I've seen – just for, I haven't seen every quarterback in the country, but you know, watch a lot of college football, and then watching watch them against Virginia Tech and watching against Notre Dame. This guy is as good as I've seen uh, in all aspects. He really is a very complete game, very good demeanor. Um, again, the Trevor Lawrence is the physical comparison. I don't know if his arm is as good or he's going to be the first pick of the draft, but very unusual uh, size athleticism combo and protects the ball. If you compare him to Sam Howell the past two years, who we, Miami had to deal with, uh, really Miami deal with him for three years. May is better than Howell, from what I've seen. Protects the ball better, better decision maker, just more talented, longer, does more things. So yeah, Miami has a tremendous challenge with Drake May. That's really the focus of the game is how can Miami stop this passing attack? And I have some stats just to kind of put the put the top matchup in perspective. North Carolina, I like to look at yards per pass when it comes to a passing game because you could throw the ball a ton of times and not do it efficiently and rack up passing yards, but you're not necessarily a good passing attack. Um, but the yards per pass, you know, which, which factors in completion percentage, the explosiveness of those completions, I think that's the best stat and usually shows the best passing offenses. North Carolina is sixth in yards per pass, 9.8 per pass, including incompletions. Miami, flip on the other side, pass defense yards per pass, 128th in the nation, right. 10.5 yards per pass against. And this is only FBS. Well, so that's where I'm saying on paper, it's not a great matchup for the Canes. That is a story of the game for Miami. Can they slow down this passing attack? May has multiple weapons. Oh, and it, Josh da the Josh Downs, the kid number 11, he's another one who NFL definitely has, the, has their eye on. And, you know, he's hurt Miami in the past. You look at couple performances already you you have the brown lee from from southern miss number one who had his moments we saw what happened uh in the middle tennessee state game right so how are they going to slow these guys down and it's not just downs i mean number three number five they got two other they receivers. have an h back right uh, kamari morales i think his name is he is and then they have number 18 i believe his name is nesbitt mm -hmm. who he looks like an nfl type player tight end so between the three receivers, it's not just the one downs kid, number 11. It's three and five also who can make explosive plays and get downfield. The two tight ends, 
their passing game, that's why the numbers are what they are. I think if you're looking at a difference between this North Carolina team and maybe the North Carolina team that really stomped Miami two years ago and beat them last year, uh, I would say the running game. There's been, there's been a few Carolina teams that have stomped Miami over the years. It's been a tough matchup, but really the signature North Carolina-Miami game is that 2020 game where Javante Williams, Michael Carter just did whatever they wanted against Miami. The difference between this team of North Carolina and that team is the running game. It's gotten progressively worse. It was very good last year. It was unbelievable two years ago. Now I'd say it's pretty average. Just diving into the numbers just to give you a feel for how this team has changed. Uh, Rush percentage, meaning the amount of plays that are rushing plays for an offense. North Carolina in 2020 with Javante Williams and Michael Carter, 55.7% of their plays were runs. Uh, Last year, they had Ty Chandler, who was another NFL quality player. Uh, 54.3% of the plays were runs. This year, they're under 50% at 49. So they've become a a Drake May, a passing game center team, where in the past, they really were about running the football. Um, So that, to me, is, is, is the biggest difference between North Carolina this year and other years. If you're Miami, your run defense is your strength. Uh, just pulling up Miami's run defense, seventh in the nation, 82 yards per game again. So Miami's run defense has come a long way mm-hmm. from that 2020 debacle. They got a big defensive line. I heard a, a you know a, 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 a scouting connect different than, than than your scouting connect really raving about Miami's defensive line, even though they didn't play very well last week. But you see it in the run defense numbers. So can Miami with just their front? completely stymie North Carolina's run game and force May and these receivers uh, to play against the numbers. In other words, Miami will commit numbers to the passing game, not have to worry as much about the running game because it's lack of explosiveness and because of Miami's strength in the front and allow them to play more numbers to play safer on the back end and avoid that explosiveness of Drake May and those receivers. I think that to me is the key to the game. Um, my, well, I think what I'm what I'm curious about too is like, the style of game that Miami could win here, right? Like, can Miami win in a shootout? We haven't seen them have the ability to do that. So are you saying they have to kind of muck it up and make it, you know, a a longer game, so to speak, rely on their run game as well? I mean, what is the... So, again, we we understand that they're favored, right? And I'm trying to figure out what the path to that victory is. So... One of the ironies is the offense has been so bad to start the season for Miami, and the offensive style has been so tough for Miami fans to watch. And there's going to be changes to the offense. We'll talk about that. I'm sure that's the number one question we got when we put it out to everybody, uh, the changes in the offense. But philosophically, the idea about taking your time, shortening the game, running the football, and then converting in the red zone, which has been a problem, that really is the path to victory against North Carolina. Really. If Miami executes the offense that they want to have, that is how you beat a team like North Carolina. You keep Drake May off the field. You limit his possessions. You know, you deliver on third down, get the ball back, and then hold the ball, march it down the field, take a lot of time, convert in the red zone when you get those opportunities. That is how you slow down an explosive offense. Talked about the running game. So going back to the stats here, North Carolina's weakness is their rush defense. 123rd of the nation, giving up 227 yards per game. Which Miami running game is going to show up? The one we saw at Texas A&M or the one that couldn't do anything against Middle Tennessee? If it looks more like the Texas A&M game, that is a very favorable matchup 
for the Miami Hurricanes. Obviously, you have Henry Parrish and Jalen Knighton banged up. I expect those guys to play, uh, at least attempt to play. But if you can get production from those guys, Jalen Knighton had explosive plays against North Carolina last year. You know what he can do. Parrish, one of the most efficient runners in the country so far this year. If you can get those guys going against North Carolina's weakness uh, in the run in the, in the running game. It's interesting because I look at Carolina's defense and just knowing what I know from just the talent perspective of what they have, it reminds me in a way of Miami's where they have not, you know, been very good at all, you know, this season. But they have some individual guys. So you have a Miles Murphy on the defensive in the interior defensive line, number eight. You have a Noah Taylor, I believe he's number seven, who he transferred over from Virginia, right? So a couple guys who can get after the quarterback. Then the cornerbacks, Storm Duck and Grimes, um, you know, they're they're talked about a lot. It hasn't shown on the field yet, um, but they have some individual talents on that defense. Yeah, and you don't want them to play their best game against Miami, right? Which seems to happen uh, year in and year out, right? Uh, absolutely, and there's a momentum factor to it as well. If Miami starts slow and the crowd starts kind of you know smelling blood and calling for Jake then North Carolina is going to be jacked up and they'll be playing their best game. But if you just judge them on what they put on film so far this year, they're a pretty soft defense. Um, and, and what I mean by that is you watch an Notre Dame game, every single time Notre Dame finished a run, they were getting three extra yards. I mean, every single time. These guys, there were very, very few just solid stops from North Carolina, even when they were squared up. So you would hope this is a game that what Mario is trying to instill kind of takes over at a certain point. Absolutely. And I think it starts with, again, if you see a Miami receiver catch catch the ball and break a tackle or get the four extra yards, that's going to be a sign early on that Miami is physically ready to play. And it's, again, it's, we could talk all day, but there's, some of this is just college kids and how they, how when they wake up that day and how they're ready to play those little things, because North Carolina is not a defense that you watch on film and say, this is a tough, physical, consistent unit. You know, you have guys like Storm Duck, you mentioned, um, who's a big name, he's falling down, allowing yeah. big plays. You have huge bust in terms of coverage. And again, just a lack of physicality overall. Uh, number 33, the uh, middle linebacker for North Carolina, he's a very versatile mm -hmm. guy. He probably, from, from to my eyes, was their best defensive player uh, the first few games. So he's someone to watch. Um, but overall, this looks like a North Carolina defense. It looks very much like what we've seen the past few years. Big plays will be there, whether it's because of bust, broken tackles, or, or, or just lack of talent. And I don't see a lot of overall size on the defensive front that you're going to say, wow, these, you know, it's like Texas A&M where physically they wow you. You're not going to see that from North Carolina. Miami needs to be the more physical team. And, you know, just kind of getting off track, going back to the last week or last game, Middle Tennessee, I spoke to somebody at Miami and asked for the autopsy. Now they've had time hmm. to digest. And, you know, obviously getting the quarterback and the play callers and the playmakers all in sync, that's the number one issue. They've been working on that. We'll talk about that. Everybody knows that was a huge issue last last game. Uh, the cornerbacks. I think people in the league are trying to figure that out as well as, as far as evaluators uh, when it comes to Tyler Van Dyke because and I, this kind of goes off track somewhat, but there's this is, I think, the week now that people in the league are like, okay, we the first four weeks have happened, but let's see what happens this week. And this is going to be, you know, this is the make or break obviously for the, you know, his job with, with, within the team right now, but for 
beyond that as well. Yeah, no, that's this is a game you're watching if you're a scout, just to see how he responds to adversity. Last year, he lost those two games, North Carolina and Virginia, came back and really was lights out after that, a whole different player. Love to see that kind of development. Um, but yeah, that's you know, that was a major factor, obviously, in the middle of Tennessee game. Wolf watched that. The corners allowing the big plays, we talked about that just if they're allowing big plays to this team, it's going to be a long day. We'll see how that how that tightens up, both schematically as far as potentially playing maybe more too deep safeties, uh, maybe playing less man coverage with certain players who have not been able to keep up, different things. Um, but the third thing that, that was mentioned when I spoke to Miami folks about what happened in Middle Tennessee was the lines that showed up to the Texas A&M game, meaning offensive and defensive line, did not show up to that Mm-mm. particular game. So – those are matchups. The offensive line struggled early on in that in that game. Absolutely, and the defensive line didn't take over the game like they could have. We, I think, this is a very good defensive line. I know other people that are not affiliated with Miami agree, but that didn't happen against Middle Tennessee. Those are matchups that Miami absolutely needs to win. We mentioned the the, the run defense in North Carolina versus Miami. Also, in terms of pass protection, they're a little better. I think they're in the 70s in sack percentage allowed this year North Carolina usually they're in the hundreds with our old friend Stacy Cyrils they were very much in the hundreds as far as protecting Matt Howell or sorry Sam Howell they really struggled now they've gotten a little better but that's still not a strength Miami needs to get Drake May to the ground not just pressure him but get him to the ground he makes guys miss again he's tall he looks like he's going to be easy to sack but he makes a lot of guys miss and he could pick up ground easily and get first downs he killed Virginia Tech with his legs on third down also had some nice moments against Notre Dame with his legs Miami needs to win their individual matchups beat guys like Corey Gaynor who's one of North Carolina's Mm -hmm. best offensive linemen just to give you an idea he was very maligned here in Miami he is probably their second best lineman at North Carolina so can you win those matchups and then once you get to Drake May get him on the ground Um, I think that's going to be the key to this game so I kind of just mentioned it now but TVD getting the start I know after the middle Tennessee State game there was a lot of talk is he going to start is is Jake going to start you know Mario says he's the guy and obviously he's going to get an opportunity out there um, this Saturday so we just talked about kind of a bit of the, the from the NFL evaluator standpoint but for his job and with the team what does he need to show obviously go out and get the win but what does he need to show on Saturday for you and for what you would consider most of the fan base to feel comfortable moving forward that you know he's closer to the Tyler Van Dyke we saw last year as opposed to what we've seen in the first four games i would just say make the key plays the throw to redding that didn't connect against texas a&m plays like that that just have to get made um red zone ability to convert in the red zone and make that play this is a guy who had a two-point conversion last year against north carolina that was pat mahomes ish one of the best plays i've ever seen from a miami quarterback where he was you know rolling rolling left just kind of spun around hit 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 it uh, right over the middle that was unreal what he did in that play and in that second half of that game, we need to see him convert in the red zone, touchdowns, third downs, make those throws. We don't need 400 yards, but the plays that are there to be made have to be made. He cannot leave yards on the field because of inaccuracy, uh, poor timing uh, and things of that nature. He needs to make the plays that are there. And the question I got all, all week you've been getting, I'm sure we asked, the Kansas community for questions. And this came up so many times. What's, what's going to be different on offense schematically. And 
I was told very explicitly, there will be changes. There's a focus on doing, cutting out things that he's not doing well, adding things that he does well and, and emphasizing things that he does well. Um, I think you'll see more RPO, which you've seen a little bit of. It's not foreign to this playbook, but I think you might see uh, an increase in RPO. You're not going to see necessarily a whole new offense. It's not going to be the right. Rhett Lashley offense in the bye week. But I think you're going to see changes that will be noticeable. Right. And, and how much of, of an improvement will just be based upon out of the bye week the relationship between him and Gaddis continuing to, you know, just grow out of necessity and just the more that they work with each other, the better they get to understand each other. Well, adversity brings out the best in some people because you have to make changes and you have to confront hard truths. So I think that is something that we'll see. Mario Cristobal, and this we talked about the Vegas line up front. I should have mentioned this earlier, but Mario Cristobal at Oregon was 5-0 and coming out of buys. And, and that was, as we know, with Manny, one of the biggest gripes from the fan base. Correct. So that's something I'm sure Vegas is looking at. That's something that Miami needs is some self-reflection and some adjustments during the bye week. And I think you'll see it across the board. Mario, people talk about him being stubborn. I don't see him that stubborn personally because he's not a quote-unquote genius mm. where he's been told you're a genius you got the system it's unbelievable you revolutionized the game and that kind of leads guys like you know like a chip kelly to maybe get stuck in the mud sometimes and not adapt with the times mario's not that mario is a ceo type coach um he's someone who i think is humble enough as far as his own ability to say this is not working we got to focus on what works we got to get back to work um, so I don't, I don't look at him as a stubborn guy. Again, there's only so much you can change in a week. You, you can't just change the whole offense, but you are going to see an effort to do things like RPO that TVD did very well in the past. And uh, also identifying new playmakers, you know, guys that maybe you didn't count on because of their camp performance who maybe did better than you thought. Uh, Keyshawn Smith certainly played well, uh, both in the return game and also as a receiver. Jaleel Skinner. We talked about it in the preseason. This is a guy who consistently made big chunk plays, catching and running. You saw a little bit of that in the Middle Tennessee mm-hmm. game where he broke some tackles, should have scored a touchdown. It was very close. Um, but he has that ability, especially against a secondary like North Carolina's that doesn't tackle very well. You can get him in space, breaks a couple tackles. He can go the distance or you know very, very long distances. So he's someone I'd expect to see a lot more of, Jaleel Skinner. And also Frank Ladson, he really played well against Middle Tennessee. He was one of the few bright spots along with Keyshawn Smith. You got you got to play the guys who are, who are showing it on Saturdays, right? Right. And and Ladson's a guy they want to play. He's big. He's fast. He's a uh, he's a good worker. He's smart. You know, he has a lot of the the qualities you like. He just hasn't put it together. So he had a good week. Keep feeding him and 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 hope that he just it clicks for him and the confidence clicks. He's also someone, even though he's tall, he's strong and he can break tackles which to me is, is one of the, the weaknesses of, of these North Carolina defensive backs. They're not just getting smoked. You'll see bust, and you will see just poor tackling, lack of physicality, uh, just some sloppiness. So that's how you – the way you beat North Carolina, to me, completions. You, got, you know, the ball shouldn't be hitting the ground. Um, you can get big plays without necessarily just scheming up the perfect – one-on-one situation and throwing deep. There's different ways to get big plays against this North Carolina team. 
I feel like we keep waiting for this guy to have that breakout game. But Jalen Knighton, who you already mentioned, had that big play last year out of the backfield. I know he's been a bit nicked up, right? So hopefully out of the bye, right? A little extra rest. He comes out there and we see the best version of him that we've seen this year. Yeah, this game, you need explosive plays. I think we know what we're going to get from Parrish at this point, right? Right, although Parrish, there's no reason why he can't make take turn these 20-yard runs into maybe a 45, 50-yard run. He's not the fastest guy in the world. That's not necessarily his game, but I've seen North Carolina give up those kind of plays this year. That is their weakness. So if these running backs, this, this big ass come with some injuries, but if they can make some explosive plays in the running game, like a Cam Harris has made in the past against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen explosive plays in the running game against North Carolina in all these matchups. That is something that needs to happen, and Knighton would be the perfect guy because he can take a 20-yard run and make it a 60-yard touchdown, which Miami sorely needs um, with their offense to get going. Interior offensive line, I know that's another area that you've kind of been focused on, right? It's it's They've struggled at times, right? The tackle spots have been solid, but how do you see it playing out moving forward? If you look at the Notre Dame game, Notre Dame killed North Carolina between the tackles. That is really where that game changed. Notre Dame was able to run at will behind their center and their guards. Now, Notre Dame's center and guards are not Miami's center and guards. It's a different level of personnel. That's a problem. But... If Miami can execute and be precise and be physical like they were against Texas A&M, they will have tremendous opportunity to run in between the tackles against this North Carolina team. So that that needs to be a win for Miami. A guy like Jalen Rivers, who is legit talent-wise, he could factor in quite heavily. Maybe Miami's best player. I would agree with that, uh, certainly on the offensive line. And, And he's got Campbell next to him, who's having a really good year. So that left side of the line, could factor in pretty nicely for Miami uh, just running the football because North Carolina is weak there. They know they're weak there. They're going to challenge uh, TVD to throw down the field. But, you know, if you get the running game going, now you get TVD some easy looks, get his confidence up, he hits one. It's a whole different team. So it all plays, it all, you know, one aspect of the game plays into another. That is North Carolina's weakness. If they, if they adjust to that weakness, it's going to open up things elsewhere. Miami needs to set the tone running the football, particularly inside. So this is a big opportunity this weekend, D. I mean, you know, two and two, but a big win kind of flips things around, gets the ACC schedule off on the right foot, and then gets some positive momentum. Yeah, and if we're talking recruiting, you're going to have – a lot of 24 kids in attendance, a lot of IMG kids, which is somewhere Miami's trying to make a, a, a foothold. Ruben Bain, who was recently at Auburn, Alabama's after him legitimately. This is a guy who is putting up ungodly numbers as far as sacks and tackles for loss after being number one in the nation last year in those departments. So a huge opportunity for Miami to show that this is a new season and there's growth. And you know, I think Miami, when it comes to recruiting, is really... They had their class as far as the guys they've signed. They're currently ranked 10th with a very high average recruiting ranking, 17 commits. They had those guys they feel good about. Now it's a matter of assessing who are those guys who are really emerging as seniors. 
And people hear that and they're like, oh, this is the classic Miami sleeper that they throw an offer at the last second and the guy doesn't end up being anything. It's a little different than that. I think this is assessing guys that maybe they're already blue chip players that happen to be having great senior seasons. Right. An example I would give is Tayshawn Lyons out of Northern California. There's a four-star uh, wide receiver. He's already a blue chipper. He's getting interest from uh, Notre Dame, Washington. Those are his two top schools. Grew up a Miami fan. Miami has some success already in Northern California with Jaden Rashada. And I think this is somebody who they're targeting as a riser. Again, already a blue chipper, but had a really, really, really good midseason highlight. He's 6'2". He's got uh, length. He's got speed. He does a lot of things well. I think Miami's trying to identify guys like that. We reported in the bank that there'd be offers going to the West Coast at receiver. That ended up being Tayshawn Lyons. Mario spoke to him right after we put that out there. Um, so I think that's what you're looking at with Miami. Other things that are helping Miami's class are reclassifications. Antoine Jackson from Dillard. Uh, we reported. I've heard a lot of you know buzz on him from people. Like, like I always put the disclaimer out. I'm not into the recruiting day to day like I used to be, but that's why when I hear something about, you know, I'm hearing certain things about about that kid that would suggest he's ready to make the jump too. That he could be a guy that, you know, it's not like he's uh, he's a couple years off from from being an impact guy. No, he's ready to go. He's six feet tall, a uh, little over six feet tall. Uh, we reported first in the bank on Kane'sInsight.com that he would be reclassifying. That has now been confirmed by multiple sources. I think he, the kid himself confirmed it. So he's been working hard to reclassify. So you get a top 100 player with offers from teams like Georgia, et cetera, in the 24 class. Now he's in the 23 class, helping a corner group that can probably use some momentum. Um, you also have Robert Stafford, who's committed at corner. But I wanted to highlight out of uh, that, that Melbourne area, uh, he is someone who plays receiver, plays corner, projects as a corner at the at the next level, and he is having an outstanding senior year. He was already, again, a blue-chip player already, already a four-star, but probably underrated as a four-star based on what he's put on tape as a senior. Just extremely explosive, a lot of long runs, a lot of long catches, returns, also physical at, at corner. You know, he's not just a guy you're projecting at corner. He's playing corner as a senior. And when I spoke to someone at Miami about him, they said, this is an old-school cane. This is a confident guy. This is a playmaker. This is somebody who looks at the at Miami and says, I'm going to start next year and I'm going to make plays, has that mentality. So put a guy like Antoine Jackson and Robert Stafford together. Now you got some really nice corners to start with. You're still going to pursue a Damari Brown who was in attendance from Middle Tennessee. This is the, the, the big corner out of uh, American Heritage. Legacy kid, a son of Selwyn Brown, a Miami legacy. But someone who maybe was turned off by the last game, you're still going to recruit him extremely hard and, and try to add him to the class. He can also play safety. Um, Conrad Hussey out of St. Thomas, someone who's really a target of the staff, another guy who can play corner or safety or nickel. Um, so I think you're going to see Miami continue to push with that group, and you'll also see transfer portal guys as well in that mix. Receiver, same situation. I heard two to three transfer portal kids at receiver. Wow. So. You know, they're looking for instant impact playmakers. I think if you asked, I haven't heard this directly, but I think if you asked them honestly, they probably regretted not going harder after portal kids during the first wave of the transfer portal, being before spring. Um, I think they were counting on guys jumping in the portal after spring, and they just weren't able to get what they needed at that position. 
as far as an instant impact guy for TVD, even though they really needed it. They're not going to make that same mistake again. They're going to be extremely aggressive in the portal at the same time, going after a kid, like I mentioned, the Tayshawn Lyons, uh, Robbie Washington, Ray Ray Joseph, two commits from Dade County, having unbelievable senior years at receiver. Those guys are going to need a speed element, but you're going to want really an, an alpha playmaker. And I think they'll look for that in the transfer portal as far as a guy that can win 50-50 balls, maybe somebody with some size, you know, someone who can step right in and just be that third down option, that got to have a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon Innes, who solid commit to Ohio I mean, State. kind of waiting in the shadows there, huh? They're not waiting. They're hitting this guy up every right. single day. But I think he's someone that you'll build the relationship and then stay on him and then – when things pick up, Miami is going to be extremely, extremely aggressive with Brandon Innes. He has tremendous NIL opportunities locally and the opportunity to be the guy as opposed to just being the next in line at Ohio State. If you get a guy like Brandon Innes, you know, it's not anything, nothing's imminent there. But I think back to a Tracy Howard situation, you cover, you were covering recruiting yeah, at that time. That was, a, that was a huge flip at the end, yeah. And it really picked up steam at the end. It was not something that necessarily was steadily building. He was at Florida lock the entire time, and you always heard his mom wanted him at Florida, and he was always visiting there. I, I feel like Miami was not in play at all until like the last weekend. Yeah, I think we're in better shape with Ennis, quite frankly, at the same right. stage. But there's going to be an extremely aggressive push for a guy like that. So receiver, they, they know receivers in need. There's going to be high school kids involved. There's going to be transfer portal kids involved. But that's that's a position certainly uh, to watch going forward. Offensive line, Samson, uh, I can't even pronounce his last name, but Samson out of Brockton, Massachusetts. Pancake, Pancake, Pancho, Pancake. They have him as the number one overall player on the board. Uh, although Ennis is making a case to be the number one overall player on the board. They might be 1A, 1B. He is someone that they're going to pursue, continue to pursue aggressively. Uh, he has an open weekend for the FSU game. Look for him to come down there. Uh, I, he has a tremendous NIL package uh, opportunity here at Miami. So I think he's someone to to watch close uh, as as someone who could take this offensive line class to that really elite level and and, and bring some momentum back to the class. Um, linebacker, we mentioned, again, in the bank, kind of alluded, said, watch the linebacker. This is not a position where Miami's done. Shortly thereafter, it came out that Stan Quan Clark is in the mix. Um, I can confirm, you know, that's what I was talking about. He's someone that Miami's been watching for a while. Uh, had a good junior year, but really is having an outstanding senior season at Miami Central. He was at Killian the year before, kind of like a linebacker safety hybrid. He played safety for Coach Duasso 7-on-17, the Miami Immortals. Always had the size, always had the athleticism, the coordination to be that three-down backer. But I think with Central, you're really seeing him put it together as a physical player, the instincts in the box. Uh, he is someone that Louisville is going to fight like hell to keep. They're not going to just let him go. They're going to offer him the world. But there's interest in Miami, and Miami is really pursuing a guy like Stan Quan Clark hard. Um, so he's someone to watch. Also at corner, Edwin Joseph out of Shamanah Madonna. Arguably the best player on the field when Shamanah played American Heritage, which is crazy when you think about the great talent that was on the field, but he performed at that level. Another guy who's having a great senior year. Um, he's someone to watch as a potential commit in these coming weeks. Another guy you throw into that cornerback class. Safety, you're not going to hear as many names, but remember, some of these corners can play safety. I think Miami is of the mindset that 
they don't want these box safeties that can't cover. They'd rather have a physical corner that Moving can play cover, safety. Yeah. yeah. So all of this, like you said, available on the bank. That's Only right. available canesinsight.com. That's right, canesinsight.com. The bank, we're putting it out on all our social media channels. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, every, Twitter. You'll get the bank on all those platforms. And then, of course, on the forums. And, uh, you know, if it's put if it's on there, it, it's not rumor and innuendo. It's uh, we call it the bank for a reason. It's uh, it's backed up like Fort Knox. So, uh, you know, recruiting's fluid, but you're not going to get better insight. I promise you. Are you saying the work was cut with something? <laughs> the work was sometimes it was cut. Sometimes it well, was listen, cut, but it was the that, hottest thing at the time. That's for sure. Well, listen, the bank is the, the bank. Uh, we'll, we'll see what we'll see how it looks three <laughs> months from now when, when things heat up. Right. It'll look a lot better if the Canes win. Yep. But uh, again, keep an eye on new names emerging. I think that's going to be the story of recruiting and new names that are legitimate, highly pursued names, not guys you've never heard of that you know we're stealing from Double A. You know, these are going to be guys that are, are are legitimate prospects who just happen to be making that leap from maybe a low four star to mid to high four star talent. That's what I would watch for when it comes to my recruiting, and we'll keep you up to date uh, on the bank. So when we come back, we will answer your questions, Kansas Inside Community. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Canesware is still the number one spot for all your Canes needs, your South Florida sports teams needs. They got it all. They got the new Miami Knights jerseys coming in, all kinds of new gear coming in, uh, the new Adidas Ultra Boost. Everything you need to get ready for the season. You know, you've been working hard. Christmas is still a long way away. You got some money saved up. Blow it now. Buy some stuff. Get ready for the season. Look right. Everybody else is investing. Invest in yourself. Invest in your wardrobe. Look, no more of these old, ugly shirts from the 2014, 2016 when we lost a lot. New era, new gear, same old Canes wear. The best in the business for South Florida sports. All right, D, we'll get into the questions now. The first one from Asad H. 07 and then it's a two-part question uh herbie to god is the other part of the question so the first part in the spring and fall camp we saw reports of cam avante and james playing together on the field but i haven't seen that to date let me know if you have will we see that against unc in their aerial attack herbie to god also asks why gbe isn't getting more snaps so if you can talk about those two Real quick. Right, GB uh, Gilbert Frierson. Um, so we have seen James Williams, Camp Kitchens, and another safety on the field. We've seen that a lot on third down. It just hasn't been Avante Williams. It's been Al Blades usually. So do I think we're going to see a lot of James Williams on the field with two safeties? I do. I also think we should see a lot more Gilbert Frierson in this game. The reason being is a couple things. Number one, you have to worry about the quarterback running. You want someone who can, who can check him. You also have two tight ends that can make plays um, for North Carolina. Again, 18 Nesbitt, one of their better playmakers. So he's someone that you have to worry about. Um, and when you have guys with that body type, the person, the way you check that body type is a guy like a Gilbert Frierson or a James Williams, who has the ability to cover, but at the same time, isn't giving up a lot of length. Problem is North Carolina also has three legitimate receivers. So you'd still need to Corey couch on the field to run downfield with the third receiver because they're not good. These are not guys that are what you would call like your Cole Beasley types. 
These are guys that can make big plays down the seam. Uh, people love to throw that seam route down down mm. with a, with a speedy guy. Uh, that has been kind of a new trend in football for not new. It's been a trend for a few years now where you love to target that speed right there in the slot going downfield. So if you don't have couch there running four four, you have someone like Frierson or Williams. You're you're vulnerable there. So um, I think the position that you might see suffer as far as being on the field less would be maybe two true linebackers. You don't have to worry so much about North Carolina's running game. You have to worry about other things. So I think you might see less of those two true linebackers, a Steed and a Flag or you know, a Wesley or whoever and someone else. And you might see more of those hybrid guys like a Frierson or a James Williams with it the Corey Couch and then two safeties behind. Uh, that's how I would approach this when you're dealing with a tight end. You have to worry about you know, running quarterback and not so much a physical running game like you might have seen with a Texas A&M. The personnel is different. Texan did not really throw to their tight end. They like to run. Um, you'll see something different here because of the different personnel. So for you, let's see. I've got a question from Jeff Oasis. Other than K5, Keyshawn Smith, who is a receiver we can count on moving forward with X not coming back for a while and uh, Redding playing, I won't say the quote, but uh, not very well. <laughs> <laughs> well... You know, we've talked about him. We've, we've talked about most of the receivers now at this point. But I'm going to go back to a guy that Mario Cristobal singled out a few times. Uh, I believe during spring and also during fall camp, but Brashard Smith, right? Um, we've seen him have his struggles like most of the Miami receivers. But I think that he's a guy, when you talk about the toughness, right? Um, his ability to, you know play multiple spots, right? They're going to try to get him the ball, I believe, you know, in a multitude of ways. Um, he's going to get opportunities again. And I think he's going to seize those, um, from what I'm hearing, has had a strong, uh, you know, week or so of practice, right? So let's see if he builds upon that because we've seen time and time again, guys do things on the practice field that doesn't translate. Um, but I would hope that a spark you know, kind of has gone off for him in the last couple of weeks um, because he's a guy who's going to get an opportunity. Yeah, and if you're talking about a North Carolina defensive backfield that doesn't tackle well and can be soft at times, you want a guy like Rashard Smith. Who, who can break those tackles, right? Right. He's built like a running back, and he can make huge plays off those broken tackles. He may not be Cooper Cup in terms of route running, but what he does plays into certain weaknesses uh, of North Carolina and their defensive backfield. So I, I can see that. I can see that playing out for sure. And I also watched Frank Ladson just because he had a, a really, really good game last week. Right. And I'd love to see that continue with him. I think he's somebody that um, everybody wants to do well because of the way he works and his physical tools. So uh, get a big play to him down the field early. Maybe the momentum and the confidence just starts to snowball from there. So this next one for you uh, on Twitter is from D Ray at D five Ray two. Um, why is Al Blades playing over Avante Williams? So I asked around about this, and I would say the biggest reason, and you saw some of that if you watched the Bethune game. Avante, first of all, Avante was a starter or co-starter all of spring and all of camp, so it's not like Avante's been in this position. Uh, I think what you saw in that Bethune game was some very troubling bust, both from a just making the right read standpoint, adjusting on the fly, uh, and then some tackling issues. So 
with safeties, it's called safety for a reason. You don't want a safety that maybe he makes a flash play here, but then makes a mistake that leads to a long touchdown. Now, I'm sure people are listening to this podcast saying, wait a minute, we're 129th in the nation in yards per pass against. We just got burned repeatedly by Middle Tennessee. What difference does it make? Get the playmaker out there. And that may be where it lands. But I suspect against a team like North Carolina, who lives off those kind of plays, they're going to err on the side of caution and hope that someone like Al Blades, who maybe is not the playmaker that Avante is, but is experienced, knows what he's doing, will um, allow the defense to be safe, avoid those huge plays, and then you work Avante in over the course of the year as he gets more comfortable. Because I think this defense is a lot better with Avante setting the tone, hitting. He was all over the place in camp, in spring. It was It's unusual that he's playing so little. Um but I think if you ask most Canes fans before the season, he was probably one of the guys they were most excited about. He was playing a lot. I mean, yes, steal before the season. But if you watch the Bethune game where he got pulled, um, I think that that was telling. And there's been stuff in practice uh, along those lines. So if Miami continues to give up big plays, I think you go to Avante Williams because what are you what are you waiting for? Right. You know, you're, you're already making the same mistakes. Um, but the hope is they're going to tighten a little bit of that up coming out of the Middle Tennessee game. Well, you'd hope that Miami would tighten a lot of things up across the board uh, after that game and big opportunity for them this weekend against North Carolina, a team that, you know, Mac Brown has had uh, Miami's number over the past few years. So let's see what Mario does in his first crack at him. And like you said, Mario's had success after bye weeks. So we'll see what Hard Rock is like on Saturday. Hopefully uh, there's a good crowd out there for the 4 p.m. start and Hopefully the podcast next week is, uh, you know, we get some excitement going again because D Money Man. I don't know. I'm getting, I'm getting called out by people and, you know, local establishments saying that my my partner is very negative. Which, <laughs> if anyone has, you know, followed the uh, the D Money, uh, you know, kind of story over the years with the Canes, it's it's been a it's been an optimistic lens that you view things through. So. When people are telling me that you're the pessimistic one, man, things have changed. Yeah, I've had a bad feeling. I think Middle Tennessee was the culmination of that bad feeling, but I'm feeling good right now. You know, this is a whole new season, a whole new opportunity to rewrite the story. And it's not fun unless there's adversity. That's where the true uh, enjoyment comes. So a win against North Carolina, which is always big in the coastal, It'll feel like the national championship if Miami goes out there and wins that game at home and really get the good feelings coming back again and recruiting with the home crowd. Please, if you have a chance to go to the game, go to the game. Make some noise. It makes a difference. Need you out there. What else are you going to be doing uh, at Saturday at 4? Get out there and watch the game instead of spending the rest of the night just complaining about it. You know, Just go to the game. Spend the time positively and, and try to impact the, the outcome in whatever way you can. Um, I'm excited, man. Four o'clock. It's enough time for people to get a little bit liquored up. There's going to be some energy in the crowd. Just got to get that good start, get things going. And uh, hopefully uh, it'll be the start of what we want the crystal ball era to look like. Good start. A dominant, on dominant ACC run, baby. Let's, let's get the good juices flowing again, right? Oh, man. This is it. We're still alive in the coastal, baby. <laughs> so Kane's Inside Podcast brought to you by Kane's Wear. We will see you guys next week. Remember to like, subscribe, comment, and all that good stuff on the social media channels. Thank you, guys. Go Canes.